Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and turn over to John chapter 12. Today is known as Palm Sunday. It's the week before Easter when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a colt. I remember as a young kid in a small town in Iowa uh, getting palm branches and all the kids could wave them. In Iowa, you don't get to see too many palm branches. And so that was a special time. But uh, being mindful of this moment when Jesus came on into town. And certainly who he is and what he did for each one of us paved the way for a life that's different. And David, I'm proud of you. I appreciate your openness. The Lord's Supper and Jesus has worked hard. To transform not just you, but all of us. So thank you. And uh, we love having you and Lorena and your family part of the ministry. You guys are awesome. And Go Hard High School. It's awesome. John chapter 12. It says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. So there's a couple prophecies that are fulfilled right here. By Jesus riding into town on that colt. Now, you got to love the honesty of the Bible. And it just kind of records what's going on around. And it says, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. And that these things had been done to him. So you got the disciples that... Jesus is riding into town. Everybody's like, hey, this is awesome. And the disciples are like, like, what's all this about? What's the big deal? They're not making a connection. They're just kind of living life. It says, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So now you've got people, and they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw him bring him out of the tomb. So you got this bunch in the audience that's going, hey, he raised the dead. He brought Lazarus out. Let's come see him. So you got his closest disciples. They're clued out, not realizing what's going on. you got a group that at least goes, he raised the dead. Let's go and see him. And then you got the Pharisees in verse 19. It says, the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Yeah, isn't it amazing that Jesus is entering Jerusalem triumphantly, is being praised by the crowds, and then the Bible says, the inner circle of his friends, they're clued out. You have some observers that at least recognized what he did when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Then you have the Jewish leaders that knew better. And what's their attitude? 
Ah, what a waste of time. We're trying to stop what he's doing. And now you got the whole crowd praising him. This is getting us nowhere. You know, you couldn't have three more different responses to what was going on. You know, blessed is the king. Jesus is the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. He didn't just enter triumphantly once. Now, his triumph is continued. He sits at God's right hand. He told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Whether or not we recognize Jesus as our king, Jesus truly is the king. And whether we ought to know better and we're kind of clued out as to what's going on, whether we're trying to oppose his rule and lordship in our life, or whether we're just kind of observers and we go, well, he did something pretty awesome with Lazarus. I at least want to give him another chance and let's see what's going on. He still is the king. And the question for each one of us is, what are we going to do with King Jesus? So this was a week before Easter. You know, so Jesus is living his life. He's coming into Jerusalem. He's the king of the Jews. He's ushering in a whole new way of living. And then right about now, the Gospel of John kind of shifts direction. It says in verse 20, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Say, why, why does John include this? Because Greeks being involved in what was going on was not normal. Now, we love Greeks, right, Ronnie? I mean, we've got baklava. We've got saganaki. That's like fried cheese. I mean, you just can't get better than fried cheese. You've got gyro meat. I mean, dessert, meat, and cheese. I thought about putting a Greek salad, but really, you know why a Greek salad is a Greek salad? Because of feta cheese. So really, it's just like rabbit food with cheese. So I figured it, it still fit into my meat, cheese, and dessert analogy. But the Greeks were not a part of... Of the Old Testament covenant. That was a covenant to the Jews. They were God's people. But the gospel was something different. Jesus ushered in this whole new way of thinking and living. Where all nations would come. And be a part of it. And so this is Jesus' triumphal Jewish entry into Jerusalem. He's fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. But John wanted you and I to know that there was another group of people that was watching what happened. And they wanted to see Jesus. He said there was a group of Greeks. And they said, hey, Philip, we want to see Jesus. 
So I love, you know, Philip, he didn't know what to do. So he asked Andrew, his brother, and then, then they went together, you know, strength and numbers. You wonder what that conversation was like. Hey, Jesus, there's some Greeks, and they want to talk to you. And so you got this situation where now the Greeks have engaged in this conversation with Jesus. They want to see him face to face. And it's a new direction for what the gospel really means for each one of us. It's not this personal salvation for the Jews, but it's one that's offered to all nations. And so they interact with Jesus, and he says this. In verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The Greeks went to Philip and they said, Hey, we want to see Jesus. And they, and they come to speak to him. And he reveals himself. He says, Let me tell you who I am. He says, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Because this is what it means to be the Son of God. This is what it means to live out the gospel. You want to follow me? you got to live the same life. You see, too often we can observe Jesus and we go, Hey, so what do I get if I follow? You know, certainly if we follow Jesus, our relationships will be different. Our marriage will be different. Our parenting will be different. We should be a different better student, we should be a better employee. We should be a better neighbor. But Jesus did not reveal himself as saying, I'm the guy that will give you a better life. And when they said, hey, we want to see Jesus, he said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Jesus lived in a radically different way. He was not the king they were looking for. He was not the king that they expected. He was anything but a triumphant king with an army. No, he was a king that laid himself down on a cross. He was the kernel of wheat that fell to the ground and died to produce more seeds. Jesus said the paradox 
is that if you want to live, you got to die. And the opposite of that, he said right there, anyone who loves their life, the NIV translates it, lose it. The Greek word means lose from a destruction point of view. It will be destroyed. And so you will lose it. You say, what, what irony. That if you try and save your life, if you try and protect your life, if you try and hang on to your life, that that very um, lifestyle of living in a self-protective way actually destroys the kernel of wheat that you are. You know, you look at these kernels of wheat, not something you'd want to eat. It's rotten. You see, the world will tell us that if we can protect, if we can preserve, if we can take care of ourselves, then that will perpetuate who we are. And Jesus says, actually, just the opposite is what's true. He said, if you fall to the ground and die, then you'll produce additional seeds. He goes on to talk. Uh, to them about this and gives different examples about what this means in his life. And then in chapter 13, we pick it up. And starting in verse 1, it says, It was just before Passover, Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I love... uh, in the, in the previous NIV, it says he now showed them the full extent of his love. It says the evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. He said, no, you will never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter said, not my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus said, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Say, what a scene. He washed all their feet, even Judas, even the one who would betray him. Jesus loved them so fully that when he made the statement, one of you is going to betray him, nobody knew who it was. They couldn't see any difference in the love, the service. The communication between any of them. 
The Bible says that Jesus washed their feet. To wash somebody's feet in those days, that, that was the job of the lowest servant of the house. That was kind of basic and customary. Somebody came to you, you know, and there was dirt and dust everywhere, and everybody was wearing sandals, and so they had dirty feet. So you came into the house, and that was kind of a greeting, like, hey, can I hang up your coat? It's like, here, let's wash your feet. That was just normal hospitality. But that was the job of the lowest servant in the household. Jesus took on that role. Now, I don't know if you've ever washed anyone's feet. Now, I'm not talking about, like, little baby feet. Because, like, little baby feet, even, like, at that point, they still smell like fresh baby. They haven't grown up into stinky feet yet. You know, no soccer feet, no, I mean, teenager feet, I mean... You know, just like little baby feet. That doesn't count as foot washing. I'm talking about in humility, have you ever washed somebody else's feet? I've washed one person's feet other than, you know, parental duties of washing kids' feet. I washed my wife's feet the night that we got married. And uh, it was a special time. I remember feeling kind of awkward. You know, it's kind of weird. Feels weird, right? But I want you to think for a moment. How would that have gone if I was mad at her? I'm not sure that I wouldn't want to wash her feet then. I don't really feel that great. She didn't treat me the way I wanted to be treated. She spoke to me wrong. Would I have still washed her feet? You know, that's, that's a challenge from my heart, right? Remember, uh, in my father's final days and weeks, you know, when he was in hospice care, I remember doing hygiene things for dad. I I remember how it made me feel. When this feels weird to clean my dad, to bathe my dad, to help him out with basic functions. Like, it just required a different mindset. And that's exactly why Jesus washed their feet. You know, the fact is, we can think about foot washing, but what I want you to think for a moment is, what would be the most challenging situation for you to wash feet? um, Well, let's move on to this. Here we go. This is seen from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> they go in for pedicures and the, 
and the worker has to get out the uh, the grinder. I actually thought about putting a picture of like kind of nasty toes up there or like really dirty feet and go, okay, how about washing that? And then I didn't want to gross you out. That's why I just left the Greek food. But I thought I thought of this scene, Dumb and Dumber. You know, and they're doing the grinder. You know, there, there's there's people's feet that require grinding. Oh, let me rephrase that. There's people's hearts that require grinding. There's people's personality that requires grinding. They do things. They they leave socks on the floor. And leave the toilet seat up in the bathroom. Yeah. I know. And you can fill in the blanks with what other abrasive behavior they've done. Let's say, how about washing those feet? What if that person was going to betray you to death? Jesus washed Judas's feet. Do you understand what I've done for you? If you're in that room, Jesus would have washed your feet. Fully aware of all the sins that you've committed, all the ugly, evil stuff that you've done and thought. And Jesus would have said, take off your shoes and socks. I'm going to wash your feet. Do you understand what I've done? In verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is, that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent me or sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus lived an example and then called his followers to do the same. Now you say, Ron, so are you telling me, hey, I need to start going around the fellowship and washing feet? Not exactly. Because you can if you want. Foot washing was... It was a little bit more customary back then. It's just hospitable, of kindness, of a welcoming into your house. But keep in mind, it was the job of the lowest servant. 
You say, well, what do you think I should do? I've got two practicals. Here they are. Show hospitality and show mercy. Say hospitality. Romans 12, verse 13 says, Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Hospitality is bringing people into your home in your turf. Okay? It's, here's my haven, and I want you to come and connect in my house. It is not having a meal in a restaurant. That's great. But that's not hospitality. See, hospitality is where it's in your home, on your terms, and you're bringing people in to connect. And you say, what should hospitality look like? Who should you be hospitable with? You say, well, should you think about your buddies in the church? They go, yeah, you know, I love hanging out with that person. I want to bring them in. Go, okay, that's fine, and that's a part of hospitality. But the purpose of hospitality is connection. It is offering yourself to be received by somebody else. So hospitality is even better if you're not already best friends. And the Bible talks a lot about hospitality among strangers. The church is not supposed to be like a monastery with walls trying to shield the world. Here's a question for you. How many of your neighbors have had dinner in your house? Just so you can get to know them. How many coworkers have eaten a meal in your house? How many classmates? See, that's hospitality. That's where you bring somebody into your realm, your world, and you serve them. Listen, if we're not doing that, we're certainly not going to get a wash basin and a bar of soap and wash people's dirty feet. Jesus says this is the heart, this is the life that we must have. Hospitality is a great connection point. The very act of offering yourself is vulnerable. You're saying, I want to connect. I want to share who I am with you. You know, you don't you don't have to have the kids obeying perfectly. To be hospitable. I'll give you a little insight. Their kids misbehave too. So let me just remove the pressure. Right? The meal does not have to be perfect. I remember uh, Cheryl and I, one of our first couples that we had over for dinner as a young married couple... And we, I mean, we ate so much corned beef and white rice and onion because we had no money and we could make a meal for about a dollar fifty. 
And the Filipinos would be excited. I learned to eat that with a spoon and fork. It was pretty awesome. The Filipinos taught me how to make that meal. And we loved it. Our sodium content was off the charts. But it was a great meal. But So we're having this couple over. And we're like, hey, we want to, we really want to, like, go the extra mile. And so we used about half of a week of grocery budget to buy four T-bone steaks. And this couple showed up, and they sit down, and we're like, oh, we're really excited. We've got steaks. And they looked at us, and they go, oh, sorry, we forgot to tell you, we're vegetarian. And you can think different things at that point in time. But you know what I thought? Okay, you can have all my rice and peas and salad. I will sacrifice my portion of all that. I'll take one for the team and I will eat two steaks. See, I look at it and say, God bless my hospitality. But hospitality is becoming more and more rare. Like think, think of it for a moment. How many of your neighbors have invited you into their home for dinner? I mean, we live in a really cool, like, alleyway. And so everybody's connected and all that, which is great. And we've had a number of them into our house. We haven't had all of them. But we've had a number of them in. But it's amazing how you can live in a community and you introduce neighbors to each other and they'll be like, oh, hey, it's great to meet you. Are you new to the neighborhood? No, I've lived here 15 years. And I don't think your neighborhood's different. So what if they have a lot of kids? It could be crazy. Yeah, just have french fries and dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets and life will be good. And ranch. But hospitality. You say college students. Hospitality. Have people in your home. Your apartment. Be hospitable. And that's why you've got to have certain groceries that you share. You cannot do my milk, your milk. Let's label everything. Because if you're going to be hospitable, whose milk do they drink? That doesn't function well, okay? You've got to have, like, hospitality stuff. Like, I remember in our campus household, we had Simply Soda, which is the nastiest, grossest soda Known to mankind. It was like Dr. Thunder. And, you know, in Toronto, Toronto, there's French on every label. So they have raisin soda. You know what that is? Grape soda. But it says raisin soda. So you're like, yeah, it's even grosser than it sounds on the label. But then we had Coca-Cola. And that was only... For the guests into our house. Nobody who lived there could drink Coca-Cola. You had to drink Dr. Thunder. (laughs) 
But you don't do things like that unless you plan on being hospitable. Right? Do you plan on being hospitable? Parents, here's, here's a, a, a good parenting piece of input. Make your home the place that everyone wants to hang out. It's kind of simple. Really good food. And, and I'm not talking about veggie trays. If, if you got one of your friends that loves veggie trays, then have veggie trays. Okay? Chips. Cheetos, chocolate, ice cream, cake, chocolate, ice cream, right? And then I, I would give them a speech. You better eat your dinner when you go home. Because if you, if you go home and say, I'm not hungry because I ate a bunch of ice cream at Ron's house, then you don't get any more ice cream the next time you come to my house. But make your place fun. You have to intend on being hospitable if you're going to be hospitable. Because you know the you know how Jesus was. Jesus was like, hey, we're going to eat and it's going to be at your house. People don't really do that today. You have to ask. But you've got to plan so that you're prepped to ask. I want to challenge everybody in here. Be purposely hospitable every week. Not once a month, not once a year. Make that a regular routine of your life. That's a sharing of your life. That's an inviting people in to your turf. Okay, so that's the first practical, hospitality. The second one is to be merciful. Now, what does it mean to be merciful? It means to extend compassion. Well, compassion is where you put your heart into someone else, into their life, into their situation, that your heart goes out to them. Well, Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's one of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. That, hey, if you act in a merciful way, you're going to be shown mercy. Now, look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12. It says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy seeks first and foremost for the other person's understanding and perspective. You cannot be merciful thinking about yourself. You just can't. That's something else, but it's not mercy. Mercy is where the primary concern is for the other person. The world that we live in right now is very polarized. Mercy is distinct. 
Judgment produces polarization. Mercy produces connection. Mercy demands being others-focused and others-centered. Because the act of mercy is about the other person. Jesus says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So many times, especially in the book of Matthew, you remember Jesus saying, if you would have known what this meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Or he'll say, you know, uh, go and learn what this means. And he talks about mercy. See, the Pharisees in Jesus' day were focused on righteousness through obedience to the law. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You need to obey the law. But let me redefine the context of what that looks like. He says, a mindset and a heart of mercy is the most important starting point. Then obey within that framework. Say, how are we in our mercy? You know, the fact is, that answer cannot be answered by us, but only those to whom we're showing mercy. Right? Oh, yeah, I'm really merciful. I'm awesome. It's in Wikipedia. I read it online. It's true. That's a joke, by the way. Sorry. Fact is, it's not self-defined. But Jesus says mercy triumphs over judgment. It's a heart to understand. It's a heart to connect. You remember the, the grinding of the pedicure in Dumb and Dumber? You see... Maybe another way to say is, what are the issues that prevent us from being merciful? Is it their opinions? Their viewpoint? Their parenting? The lifestyle they live? The music they listen to? Who they voted for? Jesus says mercy triumphs. You see, hospitality is bringing people into our world. It's bringing people into our realm. Mercy is where we go and meet them in their world and on their terms. That where our first thought is, I want to understand I want to connect. Tell me why. How did you experience that? What does it mean for you? What do you need? How can I help? You see, that's, that's mercy. Judgment divides. God's church is distinct. It's different. Why the Gospel of John said, hey, there's a group of Greeks and they wanted to go see Jesus. 
They weren't part of God's chosen people. But the fact is, they were. But not under the old covenant, but under the new. The one where God's church became a gathering place for all nations. Are you a haven for all nations? Do all nations love being with you? Do all nations love being around you? I can tell you this. They did with Jesus. You know why? Because he washed feet. He said, if you're going to serve me, you've got to follow me. You've you got to live the way I live. We do not have the option to say, I'm going to live the Christian life, but I, I don't want to be this way. That's just too hard. We don't have that option. You know the good news? Mercy will triumph over judgment. See, if we set our hearts on being hospitable, bringing people into our turf, connecting with them. And if our priority is, I want to connect on your turf. I want to understand. I want to enter your world. I want to give my heart to you. What will life look like? I can say this. It will be very different than the society we live in. And God's church should be different in that way. The challenge is not for us to be different globally. The challenge for us is to be men and women committed to showing other people the full extent of our love. Say, how will you live? Who will you be? What will the talks look like? What will the life live like? Remember, it's got to be purposeful. You will not just accidentally be merciful or hospitable. It is always inconvenient. You must plan. You must make time. You know what? You'll do that if you value the other. So for each one of us, as followers, believers, servants of Christ, how will life Look for us. Let's be the washers of feet. Let's be hospitable. Let's be merciful as we show people the full extent of our love. Let's stand and close in a final song.